Welcome back to another episode of The Scoreboard. I'm your host, Reagan Griffin, and I'm joined by my crew all the way across the country from Michael in New York to Eddie in NorCal and Aiden, where are you, Boston or something? I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, you're in Los Angeles still. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, we're, we're literally all the way spread across the country. I'm coming from Memphis, but we are still going to bring the latest and greatest of USC sports to you, the audience, because that is our job and we are not going to stop for anything, let alone COVID-19. But... Uh, speaking of COVID-19, there has been a little bit of, you know, disruption in the, the NCAA process. And Aiden, you actually wrote an article on it in regards to the eligibility rules. So could, could you spell out exactly what's going on there? Yeah. So basically, uh, yesterday, the NCAA's Division One Council voted to give spring sport student athletes uh, an extra year of eligibility. I'm sure everybody listening uh, heard about this, uh, but there's some kind of details that I'm not sure everybody was expecting to necessarily be a part of it, unless you know the NCAA, in which case uh, their actions were very predictable. So um, it, it gives the athletes a chance to kind of like exceed that five-year period of having their four years of competition, which is the normal rule. Um, anybody who was still eligible last year, but was going into their last year of eligibility can come back for next year. Um, but the school has to fill out uh, a waiver extending their eligibility for an extra year for each student athlete. And it's up to the school to do that. Oh, I didn't um, realize that. Yeah. So the, like the student athlete can't say, I want to come back to the team. Even if you don't want me, I'm joining. It has to, it has to go through the team to do the paperwork. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So um, the other thing that was um, kind of disappointing to me, but not necessarily surprising was uh, that the NCAA allowed for schools to provide less public or less aid for the student athlete than was going to be in their final year of eligibility. Um, because, you know, they were, they were going to have to, they were going to be stopping providing aid for that athlete. And, and now that extra year can maybe cause some financial issues, but that can go all the way down to zero aid if the school chooses to mm. take that approach. Wow. So we're looking at a situation where some student athletes who could only be there because, you know, they were getting their full aid. And even then it was tough for them to go to college are in a situation where maybe schools say, well, you weren't really super crucial to our team and we don't really want to spend the money on bringing you back. So have fun. We're not, we're not bringing you back, which is pretty disappointing and kind of flies in, in the face of, of what I thought kind of the whole ruling was supposed to be about, which was these student athletes had their whole seasons taken away basically. And it was going to be their last season. Um, so yeah, not necessarily surprising if you know the NCAA, but um, unfortunate in, in some of those smaller rules. Yeah. yeah and just a quick question, if you don't mind. So, do you know how this would affect transfers? Like say a senior wants to transfer as a graduate to a different school. How is their eligibility going to be affected? As long as you were eligible for this season that was going to happen, uh, you can, you can get, you can have that extra year of eligibility. I, I don't, I don't think it matters whether you're like going to be a transfer or not. I don't think it gives players like the extra chance to transfer. If that makes sense. Um, like you can't just be like, oh well, I wasn't going to like be a big part on the team this year, so I'm going to transfer somewhere else where I can play because I have this extra year of eligibility. I'm not. I, I don't really think that that's how it works. Um, but it's a little. There are some things that are still unclear with it. Like um, they expanded the roster limit in baseball from 35, but it's an unspecified number uh, that they expanded the roster limit to. So there's still some stuff that's kind of up in the air. That's a really good question about about the transfer stuff, though. I, I would be interested to kind of see how that plays out because uh, we've seen a lot of 
uh, strife in terms of the whole uh, transfer question with uh, the student athletes before. Mm. Yeah, I definitely foresee a lot of grievances where, you know, schools end up making selfish decisions in terms of, you know, saying, like you alluded to, there, there's guys who might not be as crucial to a, a team's success that they might just end up saying, hey, you can come back, but we're not going to, you know, fund any of your, your your nutrition or any of the things or room reward or anything of that nature, or even just saying, hey, you're not allowed to come back. Things like that could be, you know pretty in, in all this entire situation just sucks but that in particular would just be very tough to deal with from a standpoint of somebody who was going into their last season as a as a potential student athlete and yeah. in the interest of fairness I, I i just want to bring up that uh the ncaa division one council did um you know kind of like add on a provision where teams can take money from the NCAA student assistance fund to pay for scholarship athletes who like go into that extra year of eligibility. Right. So there will be like some more extra resources afforded to schools so that they can try to avoid any situations like that. Um, but again, like, like you said, there's, there's going to be a lot of probably issues that I can you know see with like the paperwork and um, you know, maybe schools making decisions that uh, they don't want certain student athletes to come back. Um, you, you think, oh, why would it? Why would it make? You know, why would it matter? You should just want to bring back everybody to have the strongest team possible. But that's not always how it goes with business decisions because it, it throws off recruiting, right? Because you, you promise some people coming in, hey, this spot's going to be open because we have this person leaving. That might not be the case anymore. So yeah, like you said, it's not just a standpoint of hey, bring everybody back that you can. There's a lot of things that play into it outside of just talent. And also a quick question, does this eligibility like include D2 and D3 schools as well? Do you know? As far as I know, since it came from the Division One Council, it only applies to Division One schools, which is a very interesting question because when all of this, you know, everything got shut down, one, one of my friends who's a baseball player at a Division Two school uh, like tweeted out, like, can't believe that today might have been the last day that I ever wore my uniform, you know? I mean, I think that people just have to really understand, like, what these athletes are going through and, and my friend he's he's a senior at the college that he goes to so that would have been the last time he ever he ever played the sport that he grew up playing since he was five years old and i know michael you have a, a pretty a pretty similar story to share about someone that you know yeah actually one of my best friends from back home is in his freshman year pitching at columbia and i saw him like the first day we all came home he was devastated about losing at least his first year he was more devastated even about the senior class who won't have that shot anymore. But now I talked to him earlier today, just trying to get his opinions on this. And while he does seem much happier, like who wouldn't be again next year to play, he's still not entirely satisfied just because of the uncertainty in terms of, yeah, they have a bunch of seniors coming back, but they're also bringing in nine recruits. Right. So who's going to get those opportunities, not necessarily even those spots, but like even on a pitching staff, who's going to, be getting the reps that they deserve, who's going to be trying to develop and getting playing time, but now they're not going to have that opportunity to. There's just a lot of stuff that goes into it. And I know even the Ivy League has their own set of rules where you can't play a graduate year there. So it's going to be interesting to see how all these different leagues correlate with the rule change and just accommodating players for the next four years and how to respond to this random situation that just happened no yeah and um, just uh, adding on to your guys' stories um i remember when the ncaa first came down with this 
I guess you can call it banned when they first stopped play of all spring sports that like there was a hashtag trending about extending like an extra year of eligibility. And I saw this like from like big name D1 athletes, but also like some of my friends who play D3 or D2. So I think this was something that was reflected by like the big name athletes and also those who are just trying to continue like a sport they're playing at like a lower level. So I just thought it was interesting whether this extended to like all NCAA athletes. No, no, what do you have on just how the basketball team and those winter sports are going to play out? Because of course, like the seniors on our team on all the other teams in the country miss out on their opportunity to go in the NCAA tournament, the big dance right. for one last time. How does that, how do you guys think that's going to play out? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up is uh, a lot of the winter winter sport athletes feel slighted because although they did get to play the majority of their season, they didn't get to have that culmination and that really the real closure that you'd like to have as a senior athlete, the Jonah Matthews, the Nick Rakosovich's of the world, those guys don't get to have the opportunity to go rep their uniform one more time on the biggest stage. So uh, it's definitely unfortunate from their standpoint. It's I think it made a little more sense to have – you know, that them not get that extra year of eligibility because, you know, they, they did play the majority of their season. It just sucks that they don't get the closure, you know? And that yeah, did I, have to hurt the NCAA as well, losing their biggest moneymaker, the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, course. the amount of money that they make on, on, the, on the tournament is unreal because they have, it's like the... The Lay's Final Four presented by Arby's and the you know whatever like they have like three <laughs> different sponsors on on each like different round of it it's, it's crazy so I mean the NCAA is definitely going to be hurting for money for sure and that's I think why uh, they made the decision that they made with with winter sports which yeah they make they make more money but also you know they're gonna they're gonna cost more money too to put on a lot of those and to bring all those guys back for an extra year when. Um, when they played most of their seasons already and, and it, w- it would have just been the playoffs. I do think that they should have at least considered, uh, you know, giving those winter athletes an extra year of eligibility just because it, from what I read in, in their report, they didn't even like consider it. They said, Oh, they played the majority of their season there. We're not even, we're not even thinking about voting for that. It's just for spring athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, obviously there's a lot of like different factors, you know, financial factors, eligibility stuff that goes into that decision that I'm, you know, probably not the best person to know or or be aware of, but, um, yeah, I wish that they would have at least like considered it and talked about it. Right. You think you think about a guy like Jonah Matthews, right? A big tournament from him could have easily been the the tipping stone in terms of him getting looks at the NBA level. Uh, I don't think he has a ton right now, but you go out and you have a great tournament in in March Madness, all eyes are on you and you know scouts get to see those sorts of performances and they do make, you know, a decent amount of decisions based on how you perform in March. So I think it definitely sucks for a lot of those guys, especially on the basketball level, because the March Madness is really your best opportunity to sell yourself to some of these guys. Mm -hmm. But just from like a school to school basis, I feel like a lot of schools would actually rather have the seniors just graduate and move on because they already have, you know, commitments from an incoming high school class, right? And they already have all of that set up where I think logistically it's just a really hard argument to make because, again, like for most teams, they played the regular season and a good chunk of their kind of like conference tournament, right? It's just for basketball and the big dance, they don't get to do that. It's just, it's a tough argument to make. I'm not sure if I clarified this, but um, the the eligibility waiver can be applied to any spring athlete, not just 
um, not just seniors or people who are going to be in their last year of eligibility. It applies to everyone. So, Michael, your friend that you were talking about who's a freshman pitcher, he could be there for an extra year. Um, yeah. Do they get to make that decision at any for. point or do they have to make it right now? I think, I think the decision has to be made now. I don't think that was exactly clarified uh, in the announcement that the NCAA made. But I, I don't think that you could like wait like three years and then say, oh, I want to play an extra year. Remember when I lost that season to the coronavirus? I want to take advantage of that now. Um, but it, it does apply to anybody. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't know why anybody wouldn't use it right now. It just it gives them more flexibility. I mean, you can still come out after... Um, after you know whatever amount of time, if you're the pro, I believe it's three for like baseball. That. Yeah, so I, I don't think I don't think that'll change based on this. I can't I can't imagine the leagues being so obtuse as to say, well, you didn't play the full season, so you don't count for our eligibility. Right, agreed. Gotcha. Um, and, and like I said, on the tune of recruiting, that that definitely has not stopped, and and there's been a lot of people making commitments, and uh, you know, the, the recruiting trail doesn't stop for any of these coaches. They just have to figure out different ways to do it, and we'll we'll spend more time on this in later episodes. But I wanted to get you guys' initial thoughts on everything that's been going on, particularly in the realm of USC recruiting, because there have been a lot of guys who've put pen to paper and committed. Yeah, I think I have a lot of stuff for next episode as well about this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just best to save it, honestly. Yeah, although I just want to just want to bring up because it's obviously like pretty big news 2021 basketball. Uh two four-star guards from the uh, Southern California area, Lee Dixon Waters, who's I think is like a top 50 player in the nation. Malik Thomas is a top 100. Um, both pretty good prospects that they got um, on top of a center for modern day. I think he's a three-star. Um, this is in 2021, so it's not even next season. Right. But it's pretty impressive that they're pulling these guys this early. It's honestly really impressive from Coach Enfield and the whole basketball department's um, side. Agreed. I think it, it speaks to his ability to recruit. This is something that we knew he was able to do very well. Um, and, and he's also been able to pull a lot of guys on the transfer portal for this upcoming year. Um, you know, a couple of names that come to mind. I think Taj Edie was one. Uh, he, he's a guard that can definitely shoot the ball. He can shoot the lights out of the thing. It's just they're, they're really waiting on the uh, the big name guys at this point in uh, Zaire Williams, Josh Christopher. Those are the two big uh, dominoes that kind of have to fall. For Jalen Green question. Jalen Green, yeah. Jalen Green. Possibly. Who Long knows? Shot, oh, though. to continue your point, Regan, uh Chavez Goodwin from Wofford actually yep. just decided to transfer the other day. Yeah. Very talented player at uh, Wofford. He was a part of they, they they're in a different they're in the division two i believe but they were one of the better teams in division two and he was part of the engine that drove that team uh isaiah white a, a six seven guard he's very good uh from what i've seen on the tape at least it, it always will we'll see if it translates but um and then you also get noah bauman a guy who had to transfer in city year um you get him back on the roster next year so there's definitely a lot of moves especially particularly for basketball um not so much football yet but i sense that that's coming a little bit they already had a commitment from a four-star running back that you know Alabama had eyes on him uh, Oklahoma Ohio State so this is a very good uh, talented player so you know I definitely appreciate what USC is doing in terms of recruiting right now the fact that they're keeping their their nose to the ground and continuing to grind this out in the light of everything that's been going on definitely 
Um, should we talk about the uh, Pac-12 extending their suspension? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that because that definitely has yeah. an effect on this coming year. Yeah. Um. So the Pac-12 extended uh, a suspension of all team activities until I believe it was May 31st. Um. May May 30th or May 31st, I forget which one. But uh, yeah, so basically teams can't get together and do any organized team activities that are physical. Uh, football teams can only meet uh, platforms such as Zoom or anything like that. They can only have two hours a day to do that uh, in total, and they can't do anything of, uh, in the nature of working out together. Um, so that's definitely, like like we said, you're having a, uh, a new defensive coordinator, a new defensive system. You're trying to implement these sorts of things, and now you don't have that time to build that foundation with these guys it's going to be tough for usc and uh todd orlando to really you know hit the ground running when they eventually do have the opportunity to, to come back together as a team yeah i mean you heard what what orlando was saying in, in preseason or in, in spring camp was like oh yeah we're gonna go we're gonna go hit each other which is not something that you have seen a whole ton from usc football in in their off periods uh, even during season practices and i think that was you know, there might have been some injuries along the way, stuff like that, that, that could have sidetracked that. But um, I think that is the type of organizational, like systemic, like behavior that is going to make them a tougher, better team from the actual football season. So right. when you lose something like that, I mean, they can still study, you know, the, the playbooks and, and, you know, you know, study what Orlando wants them to do kind of schematically as, as a defense. But in terms of actually getting out there and implementing it, you're, you're totally right. It's going to be, I think very affected by by this whole break, and it's something that's shared for a lot of schools across the country. Most definitely, this obviously works well in USC's favor, considering they're bringing back so many starters, so many guys that were on the team are now looking to take bigger roles. You look at a team like Oregon has got to bring in a totally different quarterback. He's not going to have the right time to learn the system compared to Keaton Slovis, who is already very familiar with the offense, strived in it last season. And I just think that's going to play well in the favor considering USC's recruiting class wasn't up to par with the rest of the NCAA. I agree with you on the offensive side of the ball because the majority of those guys are coming back and playing again. Um, just defensively, man, when you, when you try to implement a new system, that takes a long time to really get guys, you know, familiarized with that. And, they, you know, that can't that doesn't happen overnight, the most definitely. So oh, definitely. It's just I, I, a team that this team already struggled on the defensive side before. And that was supposed to be fixed, especially for this first game in Alabama. Um now I'm not so sure about it, and it you know you're hoping that the team's able to get it figured out by then, but you're not sure because there's there's no telling how long it would take. The learning curve is going to be a lot steeper now with guys sitting at home, you know, not familiarizing themselves with these things. Like they could be making those mistakes out on the field now, so they didn't have to make them come September, October when the games really matter. I'm actually kind of conflicted on what the NCAA is trying to do here because on one hand, I think it's good that they're trying to set like guidelines and enforce, I guess, kind of distancing and self-isolation from, from, you know, for, for the athletics programs, you know, it's kind of interesting that they're doing more than, I don't know, our actual government did, <laughs> you know, to, to enforce all this. But on the other hand, um, you know, the NCAA loves getting their hands involved with everything and, you know, regulating this and setting guidelines for that and putting rules in place when there doesn't need to be rules. And some of the, like the details of this, is, it just seems like a little too much. Like um, football can only have two hours of virtual meetings per week and other sports only are permitted four hours. Like, I don't know if it's What's really necessary. 
to set all of these, I don't know, just, just, just put too much regulation to things when, you know, when, when there really doesn't need to be. Yeah. Uh, I, question is how many people follow that? You, you know that the rule's going to be broken, and there's no way to keep track of it. There's, there's no yeah, possible way you can keep track. How long tra- you're on a Zoom hangout with your coaches. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it could be something as simple as, you know, I'm a coach trying to keep up with my player and make sure they're in a good state of mind, you know, everyone being cooped up in the house all the time. Like, uh, how can you even begin to try to differentiate between what's a f- team activity and what's just, you know, regular relationships? Like, there's just yeah. no and, way you could possibly go And you know that. the NCAA will be petty enough where somehow they find out that one team spent two hours and 10 minutes going over some football thing. And now they, they have to launch a full investigation into it or something like, it, you know, but it's it only applied to like one or two teams that, did that right? whereas like it's, 50 others have, have been doing it. They definitely like pick and choose where they want to enforce this. Definitely. Stuff. Like I don't put it beyond the NCAA to do something like that, no. but you know, the essence of what they're trying to do, which is make sure teams know that this is like a big deal. So they don't, put athletics above you know the lives of people like the health of people mm-hmm. um i think in essence that's a good thing but as always the ncaa took it a little too far but that's in their nature um i think that'll do it for this episode of the scoreboard thank you to you gentlemen for joining uh this has been eddie son michael fumafredo and aiden berg all from annenberg media i'm Reagan griffin thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you next week Thank you for tuning in to The Scoreboard, a podcast covering all things USC sports. Be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Media Sports. That's A-N-N Media Sports.